Yes, everybody, welcome to the Access Ninja Podcast. My name is Jonathan Campbell. And I'm Rachel Magario. So we're doing something a little bit different this time. You've probably noticed we haven't had a new recording in a while. Rachel's done a, a re recent move, and we've been thinking a lot about the podcast. And we're trying out a new format. So there's a couple things uh, you all should know. Uh, one is we're going to be doing uh, a couple different topics per episode based on what's currently going on uh, in an assistive technology, what's going on in, in, in low vision news, what's going on in our lives. Uh, we're going to be doing it a little bit more casual than we have before. And, uh, and also, and you've probably noticed from the previous podcasts, we're going to be emphasizing a little bit more on specifically low vision. And uh, as you probably have noticed, we're pretty big Apple people. So our emphasis is going to be on Apple stuff, on, on Macs and iPhones and iPads. It's not going to be exclusive, but that's where our interest is. And that's where this podcast is going to focus. We're still going to post lots of cool, general access stuff on access.ninja. So it's not that access.ninja is going to be a, a Mac or even a specifically low vision focus. It's just this podcast and the conversations we're having is going to be a little bit more focused on that. Do you, do you think that's a, a fair description, Rachel? Yeah, I mean, we're not going to be a sellout, but we're going to be true to ourselves. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so we thought it'd be more fun for, for us and for our audience if we were a little bit more emphasized on some of our personal interests. Yeah, because otherwise, what's the fun on it, right? That's right. We don't get paid to do this. We do it out of our hearts. So there's a, a, a couple uh, different topics we thought we might talk about. We're going to do this until we uh, run out of time. If anybody has any feedback over anything that we talk about or has any of their own thoughts they'd like to share uh, and that we will talk about on the podcast uh, uh, on the next episode, uh, just go ahead and send it to feedback at access.ninja. So we'd love to hear from you. Thoughts, uh, feedback, anything at all that you think might be uh, relevant to the discussion or if you just have a topic of your own that you, you'd like to hear us discuss. So I wrote down a couple of things that have happened uh, recently or come up recently. And the first topic uh, that uh, we talked about before we got beginning here was to talk a little bit about Siri's impact on accessibility. And uh, specifically, um, I've been doing a, a lot of lessons for older, uh, older users who are recently blind, usually due to a, an eye condition um, related to age. And a lot of these users are on iPads and iPhones, and it's their first experience using low vision accessibility. So a lot of first time voiceover users. And you know, it's very funny because Siri is even helping sighted people. At least the ones that are around me, they see me using it. The other day I was in a grocery store and I was, well, I forgot about this recipe. So I wasn't really sure of what else I needed to buy. And, you know, I don't make shopping lists, my own fault. But I pick up Siri and I said, I think it was like fine Hollywood chimichurri recipe on Epicurious. And then my friend that was with me, she's like, oh, this is so cool. Can you do that? And then she started asking me about all the stuff you could ask her phone. And, you know, she's older. She's maybe like in her 50s, but um, she has an iPhone and she has apparently never used Siri. So now she 
he's using it more. She goes like, Siri, what time is it? And stuff like that. And I'm sure that probably all of our listeners are familiar with what Siri is. But just in case, you know, Siri is that function on the uh, on the iPhone and the iPad where if you hold down the home button or that circular button at the bottom of your device for about five seconds or so, you'll hear a beep and you can ask a question or make a request and then a voice comes back and that's Siri uh, and it will get the weather information for you. Let's introduce uh, Siri here. What is the temperature right now, Siri? It's currently 59 degrees Fahrenheit. In Colorado, people. <laughs> so Siri does, uh, is supposed to be a, a voice assistant, essentially. It was uh, uh, introduced a while ago for the iPhone and the iPad, and it gets uh, updated every year. And uh, the big advantage it has for accessibility is it's, it actually cuts down a lot of steps for a lot of users. So, for instance, checking the weather like Rachel just did, you could ask Siri to do it, or you could, uh, if you were on an iPhone, for example, you could uh, press your, uh, unlock your device, navigate to the weather app, launch it, and see the weather. Or if using VoiceOver, do the same thing. You would open up, uh, unlock your iPhone. You would swipe over to, got to the weather app, double tap on it to open it up, and then flick through to have it read the weather to you. So it's not doing anything that you couldn't do yourself. It's just cutting down on the steps. It's doing a lot of the work for you. Well, there is one more option. I have my weather on my uh, notification and is the very first one. So... I'm too lazy. I don't like to tap all the way to my weather app. Exactly. You might have noticed that if you used Siri before, Siri by default is a female voice. But uh, Rachel, your Siri was not uh, not a woman, if that's right. Of course, because Siri is not perfect. So sometimes I want to hmm, mistreat it. So I needed to put a male voice on it. <laughs> no, just kidding. But no, I like the voice. The male voice is a lot more pleasant. So I switch mine to a male. Plus, who wants to be hearing like a whiny girl the whole day? That's enough with me already. I was talking with my wife actually because you know Siri first came out was just a female voice. Um, Google's voice assistant, which I don't know if it's name, if you just call it Okay Google or whatever, was a was a female voice. Oh my god! But that's the most annoying one. Not not to bash Google here, but you guys will know I'm more the basher here. Jonathan is polite, but. Gosh, like, have you seen you pull, like, your Google Maps and the Google voice goes, straight ahead, turn right. It's kind of rude. <laughs> well, then also uh, Microsoft has, on uh, the Windows phones, has Cortana. And actually, they've actually introduced it into their uh, Windows 10 operating system. So, um, so I think they're the first to have the voice assistant built into the operating system. I'm kind of anxious for that to happen on the Mac, but... Uh, but what I was making, what I was commenting was um, that Siri was a female voice, OK Google was a female voice, and Cortana was a, a female voice. And I, I was said I was really glad that you can change it to a male voice for for Siri. I believe you can change it to a male voice for um, for Google, but you can't change it to a, a male voice for Cortana yet. 
And my wife's making a, was making a joke. She's like, you're not becoming like a men's right activist, are you? Like, where's, where's the men representation? I said, no, no, no. My issue is with predominantly male programmers creating female yeah, assistants assistant. to do their work. Exactly. It's like, oh, so if it's an assistant, it's a woman, you know? So that's exactly why I switched to my male. And sometimes I tell him, like, you are an idiot. But it's so funny, you know, because the... <clears throat> So if you insult the female one, sometimes she goes like, now, now. But the male one, I've never seen him saying now, now when I insult him. He usually says something like, if you think so, or like, I don't know, just other answers. Or he says like, that wasn't very nice of you. Yeah, I don't spend that much time insulting uh, my <laughs> digital assistant. <laughs> Hey, I do. I get frustrated sometimes, especially when I'm out of my awesome internet in my house and my <laughs> carrier internet is so slow and I'm asking somebody to Siri and it takes forever. And so <laughs> then I lose my patience and I insult my Siri. Come on, you never ask like silly things to Siri? Oh, no, no. I ask silly things. I just never outright yell or <laughs> call it names. <laughs> Yeah, teenagers are very familiar with Siri, but unfortunately they use a lot of Siri service time on asking silly things or drunk college students. Now, what's really interesting is I, I work with a lot of seniors who are learning about Siri for the first time, and they have a tendency to try to be overly polite to Siri, which <laughs> is not necessary. So I've had to tell several people who they normally when they activate Siri, so they press down their home button and it beeps at them and they go, Siri, would you please tell me the weather? And it was like, you don't have to say please. You don't have to say Siri. You don't have to address Siri by, by name if you've activated it with the home button. You can just ask. And regardless of how many times I've emphasized this, they always are polite and ask and say please. <laughs> well, I'm nice. Sometimes I say thank you. And then Siri says like, I am here to serve. I think it's funny because Siri's Siri's not a person. Siri is a uh, computer server. I think it's hosted either in I, they've got a place in Pennsylvania and a place in Arizona, and they're adding more places. And so, it's it's just a it's just a line of code reacting to a sentence. But uh, some people can't help but be polite, and that that's sort of nice. It makes me feel good, though. Well, that's why I can insult because I never insult people. But I mean, it's a machine. The only problem I have is if somebody is nicer to Siri than they are to me. Oh, yeah, that would be a problem. Well, and also Siri, it's kind of funny because, you know, sometimes I lose my patient and I go like, Ugh. I turn it off and I say, go to sleep. And then I go actually hunt down what I need. And uh, so Siri says like, I never sleep. That's actually a little creepy sounding. <laughs> So from, from an accessibility standpoint, one of the things that uh, Siri can do is launch applications or turn off certain features like turn off Bluetooth, turn on Bluetooth, turn on do not disturb. And none of these things, like I said, are things you can't do with voiceover or do independently uh, without it, but it, it makes it a lot easier. And when you're trying to teach uh, a senior who's recently experiencing vision loss and doesn't feel comfortable 
with voiceover. It doesn't feel comfortable with the steps it takes to do some of these things. Uh, Siri can be a huge access because whenever I, I start a training with somebody, I want them to feel success on day one. I want them to feel like there's something that they can do and something that they can practice that's fun and not turn it just into a, you know, today we're going to learn how to do, how to flick correctly on, uh, on the iPhone and then, but they don't feel comfortable actually doing anything. So Siri comes up a lot. Now, Siri doesn't though replace the skills, teaching the skills of how to do all those things manually because Siri can't be relied on a hundred percent. No, because sometimes the server is busy with too many requests or um, your carrier internet, it's slow. So Siri, for me at least, works flawlessly every time I'm in my um, home with very high speed internet, but doesn't always work out outside. And, you know, if you get to a place where you lose coverage, then you can still use your phone if you know how to use the screen, but you wouldn't be able to use Siri to use Compass, for example, right? But it's excellent, though, because I, I, I had a client a little while ago, and she had cerebral palsy. She doesn't speak very well. Um, you know, her pronunciation is not clear. And um, she has very little use of her hands, I mean, of her fingers, like isolation between her fingers. And uh, we were trying to find a good phone for her, but, you know, that wasn't really a way to find a phone that she could use. But then one day, I just had this, like, light bulb goes on. And I got my phone, and I said, well, what if I could train Siri to listen to her? So, for example, to call her sister, I actually enter her sister's number on my phone. And, you know, she can't pronounce the name of her sister. I can't remember what name it was, but let's say it's Gretchen. So, you know, it, was, it wouldn't come out right. But then I try to find words that were simple that she could say. So I said, sis, instead of sister. So I put a nickname to her sister's name, calling it sis. And then uh, I taught her, you know, how to push the button and say, call my sis. And she did. She says, call sis. That's all she said. And Siri responded to it perfectly. So, you know, for her not being able to use her phone at all, and having the option to at least call her sister, which was her main, I guess, support system, I think that was amazing. I do wish Siri could do a little more things for her than what it can do right now. Yeah, because Siri, you do need to have, you need to speak fairly clearly. Siri has a tendency of not understanding complex words, odds, uh, differently spelled names, um, has a hard time switching between languages on the fly. Uh, it's it's not something that should be if if it can be helped. It should not something that should be wholly relied on. But it's a great asset when it does work and for those who can really use it. And of course, it's not a feature designed for accessibility at all. It was just a general feature they thought would be really useful. It just happens to uh, be useful to people of all ability levels. Oh, and we do have to say one more thing. So if your phone is connected to the power, you can just say, hey, Siri. And it will come on, make that little sound, and then you can actually ask 
something from the other side of the room. Yeah, so outside of holding down the home button, you can have this feature called Hey Siri. So like you said, you plug it in and you just say, Hey Siri, it'll start and it will start listening to you and you can do your your own voice command. And I realized that we anybody here who is listening to the podcast with their phone nearby and plugged in may have just experienced, uh, may have just had their phone activated. <laughs> oh, that's I, true. <laughs> there is the Mac Power User Podcast, another one of my favorite podcasts, uh, got some written complaints actually, uh, as they used to say, Hey, Followed by the word Siri is the way they usually say it to avoid uh, that type of thing. So uh, I know that's probably not most people, but just in case, if your phone did activate, sorry. Yes, apologies. <laughs> I didn't think of that. Now, this conversation we're having about Siri, um, I thought I thought it would be an interesting conversation to have last week. But in between, uh, when I wrote this in our on our outline uh, and to today when we started recording this. Um, AppleViz actually uh, posted a article uh, related to Siri and blind users. Uh, one of their editorial team, uh, Michael Hansen, posted it. I think this was actually on the uh, on the 16th of August, uh, which was a response to an article from iMore.com. So iMore wrote an article on how the Apple um, camera app is designed uh, very accessibly, which is really cool. And uh, we'll give you details about your photos and uh, when you have voiceover turned on. Uh, but they uh, insinuated, w rather intentionally or not, or at least this is how um, how Michael interpreted it, as uh, it, that they mentioned that you can use Siri to launch the camera app. And it was mentioned in a way that kind of inferred that, uh, well, that's how blind people access apps, <laughs> which is not true. Right. And so... He wrote an article. I don't think it was really an argument against the the iMore article. It was more like the iMore article inspired him uh, to respond because there's been some uh, tech news people who are not experienced with accessibility uh, who have been reporting on on the accessibility features, and they seem to think that blind people rely on voiceover, and that's not true. Of course, voiceover is not designed for for blind people. It does have some special. You, uh, you mean you mean Siri? We do rely on voiceover. <laughs> Oh, what did I say? <laughs> you said voiceover. Oh, voiceover. Oops. <laughs> yeah, Siri. They say doing for sir that that Siri, um, uh, that Siri was something that blind people use all the time, and that's not true. Some blind people use it. Some blind people don't use it. Some sighted people use it. Some sighted people don't use it. It's uh, a matter of preference. It does have some ease of use, but it's not something that's a requirement. It's not something that they added for blind people to use. And the article was very interesting. A lot of people, there's some good comments from people afterwards uh, about uh, uh, about Siri and low vision, but uh, it inspired me to make sure we talked about it on this on this podcast. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, there are people that don't have Jonathan in their lives <laughs> or somebody that is an expert on voiceover. So, um, you know, the first thing people teach them is to use Siri. And then because you don't have a good training, you actually, you know, start to rely on Siri a lot, but it's not, it's not like, you know, bulletproof. And I actually know a blind person who happens to be a therapist and, you know, she's a professional and she used Siri for a lot of her things to open her calendar and um, to 
you know, check the time, the weather, etc., to create a reminder or to create a, uh, well, a calendar event. But, you know, she has trouble like doing all the gestures that you have to usually learn, which is tap and drag and flick and what else, Jonathan? Double tap and... Double tap. And then, you know, if you want to get more advanced, you know, especially in the calendar app, you know, four finger tap at the bottom or the top half to jump the voiceover cursor at the top of the bottom. I've been teaching a lot of people that because, you know, you got to get to the, especially if it's a tabbed application, like you're in the phone app or something like that, you know. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of gestures to learn, but they're all important. Right. And I remember that she, you know, we met and she came desperate to me because she had just her, had her first iPhone 6 with, you know, iOS 8. And she told me, Rachel, I cannot forward emails anymore. And then I said, how come? And she, and then she showed me how she does it. You know, she uh, opens email and then um, opens her message. And then when she's on her message, she uh, presses the home button, gets Siri and says forward. And then Siri used to tell her like, forward to who? And then she could tell. But um, unfortunately that for some reason it's not available on Nate and I told her, wow, I don't know. I've never done this before. I don't rely on Siri on, on that level. So that's when I actually got really uh, curious about Siri and started to use Siri more just for the fun of it. And I taught her how to do the, you know, the forwarding with the voiceover itself, but she's like, wow, this takes a long time. And what did you say, Jonathan, that on iOS 9, that will be back? Yeah, I don't remember this forwarding feature in the in the pre-version of iOS, and that's simply, I've never tried it before. Uh, and it does not work in iOS 8, for, for sure. Uh, but uh, I am running iOS, the iOS 9 beta on an iPad of mine, and the forward, you just say forward this email when you have an email open in mail will forward the message because iOS 9, they're introducing um, some more contextual awareness in Siri. So Siri will be aware of what's currently happening on the iPad and some of your voice commands can be relevant to that. So if you have a mail open, you can say forward this message or forward this message to Mike. Uh, if you have a web page open, you can say, "Oh, email this web page to so and so, or or send uh, send this email to so, uh, this uh, web page to somebody else." They're adding this uh, awareness feature, so it will pull up what's currently happening and and apply whatever your command is to that. So, context. That's my favorite word. I haven't explored the the full impact of the context. So far, um, there is uh, information about iOS 9 and Siri's context awareness on Apple's webpage. And we'll probably, when iOS 9 rolls out, at the, presumably in the next few weeks, sometime in September, uh, according to rumors at least, uh, we'll probably talk about uh, all the cool new uh, uh, goodies in there as well. And, you know, I used to not like to use Siri because I like to be private and I don't like people to know what I'm doing. But as I started to explore Siri after I was helping... Um, this professional, I totally got hooked to it because it's so much faster if it's working. <laughs> so I talk to myself a lot. My probably my new neighbors think I'm a little crazy, but they don't know I'm talking to Siri. And then when you get an Apple Watch, Siri is really easy to use because it's right on your wrist. Ah, I want one. That is one thing to note, though, is if you are using an, an Apple Watch, uh, it does have Siri built in, but Siri actually doesn't do as much on the watch as it does 
on the uh, on the iPad or the iPhone. At least so far, it doesn't. Of course, there's uh, also an update coming to that as well. So yeah, I'm waiting for the next one. Come on, <laughs> new and upgraded. But speaking of uh, voiceover and the gestures and the importance of knowing them, I've had a lot of. I've been thinking a lot about. Uh, teaching voiceover to someone for the for the first time. So someone who's never had experience with voiceover at all, um, they're learning those gestures can be a bit of a challenge because um, even for someone who has experience with a screen reader on uh, on a computer, like a Mac or a, or a PC. And one of the things that uh, I've spent a lot of time working with people on is one of the most important, but one of the most central gestures, and that is the flick gesture. Flick left, flick right, flick up, and flick down. And that's something that anybody who's been using voiceover for a while has probably got down. It doesn't even really think about that much. Uh, but this flick gesture, for those of you not familiar with it, you know, voiceover, when you uh, launch the phone, it, it has the voiceover cursor, which represents, you know, what you're interacting with on the screen. And if you want to travel to the next item, so the next thing on the screen, usually it travels in a pattern that's left to right, top to bottom, like reading a book, although that's not always true in all apps. Um, you would simply take your finger and swipe it across the screen uh, quickly uh, to the right or to the left. So the right will take you to the next item and to the left uh, will take you to the previous. And, and this, if you go into voiceover's help mode, you know, they'll refer to this as the flick, flick right, flick left. And that particular gesture, uh, if you're teaching somebody who's new at it, is really nuanced if you haven't played around with it very much. Because there's two gestures that it is similar to, and that is the tap. So that's just touching the screen. So if you touch the screen, voiceover will tell you whatever is on the screen where you're touched. So if you touch the screen and your finger lands uh, visually on a button, it will read that button to you. If you take your finger and you place it on the screen and then move it around, it will read everything your finger comes in contact with. This is sort of like an explore mode in voiceover for those of you who haven't used voiceover. So if you want to go to the next thing, you do a flick. And a flick is similar to if you imagined that there was like a like a really gross bug on your iPhone screen <laughs> and you, you wanted to get it off, but you didn't want to touch it for very long, right? <laughs> you would you would kind of like just very quickly try to just like almost whack it with your finger to knock it off. Hey, I love it. We should do a video with a little bug in it. <laughs> I like the visual. You like that? <laughs> it's, it's, it's most people kind of get it. And what happens though is some people, when I teach them that, they flick really hard. I think they get. They, I think they get. You want the bug really, really out? You <laughs> really want it out. But the thing with this flick, and, and this is true with if you've done any trackpad gestures before, is that you know the the iPhone doesn't know what you're doing, right? It's seeing that there's some contact and it needs to know depending on what you do with that contact what to do next. So I have a lot of people who I try to train on this and what they'll do is you know they can't see the phone and they're not sure when their finger is going to make contact with the glass cuz they haven't been trying. They haven't been using a device like this before. And what they'll do is they'll put their place their finger on the screen and then flick it to the right. 
And what the iPhone sees when you do that, or the iPad, is it sees a touch. And then when it sees a motion, it sees maybe an explore. It doesn't know, it sees two different things. It doesn't know what to do. And oftentimes you'll end up moving the voiceover cursor unexpectedly. So I've been trying to break it down. So a flick basically is activated when your finger touches the glass and it's in motion. So you don't want to place it down and then move it. You want it to be in motion the entire time it's in contact with the glass. And you want to move it across the screen just very briefly. It Very, very briefly. You don't have to move it that far. Not even, uh, not even more than an, an inch if you can help it. And that, for the most part, is the formula for a successful flick. And you, can, you don't have to do it with your index finger. You do it with your thumb. If you're holding the phone in one hand, you can do that same sort of flick gesture to the right or to the left. But if you're teaching somebody, especially someone who's experienced with voiceover, it can be really easy to neglect to ne neglect spending the time to discuss what does the phone consider a flick, what does the phone consider a touch, and what does the, fo the phone consider an explore, and to really, really break it down. And it's not easy. It's nuanced. And I and, can, can I interject? I, oh, right ahead. I think that... Another important thing is also uh, hand positioning, you know, because I've noticed, at least working with kids, because, you know, we work with really different people, but kids, they, um, you know, they, they kind of flick, and I'll show you kind of here fast, like, they start flicking really fast on the screen, and then um, they touch the other finger real quick, so then instead of getting a flick, they get a rotor, you know. Instead of uh, instead of a flick, because they they are letting some part of their hand to touch the screen as they're doing the flick. Yeah, and that rotor is usually because that's like you mentioned. The rotor is is started by placing two fingers on the screen and turning them almost like turning a knob. But the phone doesn't know if you're if you're trying to do that or not. If it sees that you know your if your thumb is is sitting on the side of the screen, you're not thinking about where you have it, and your second finger moves in, it goes, flicking. Oh, there's two movements. Right. So then it thinks you're rotating instead of flicking. And I you know, and I usually have to tell the kids like breathe, slow down, and remember you have to think about what you're doing. You can't just just let everything touch the screen. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah and I used to tell them like a lot of times it happens they leave their, you know, they let their uh, ring finger touch the screen or the middle finger, even if they're using the, the index finger or the thumb. And I tell them, like, you know, it's almost like thinks it's like a little butterfly and then you have to keep that little three, yeah, last three fingers kind of up, you know, like it was like a little wing. And I think it's uncomfortable. That's why I use my thumb instead of using my uh, you know, what people call the, the reading finger, which is your index finger for, it's the reading finger for Braille. And I really think that using that reading finger uh, could potentially create, uh, you know, ligament or tendon issues with, with the years of use. But that's just my theory. Your positioning also brings up a, a, another point is that uh, on the iPad and on the iPhone, there's an area of the glass screen that's not actually considered... Uh, part of the touch screen, but it's physically doesn't feel any different. So on the iPhone, the, the very top section and the very bottom section where the home button and where the speakers are, are surrounded by glass. 
but just because you touch the glass down in that section, it's not considered part, your finger is not considered on part of the screen. And so it doesn't consider that to be a touchable area. And this is even more apparent on the iPad where you've got a, a, a bezel around the edge uh, of about, you know, a quarter to a half an inch. That's where your hand's supposed to go, where your thumb can go when you're holding the iPad with one hand. And if you start your gesture on that, on that edge, uh, it can get confused and you can end up doing the wrong gesture entirely or it not getting picked up at all. So you always want to make sure you're, you know, you're in the, that the, per, especially if someone's new that they know which areas of the screen are, are part of the touch screen and, uh, and they're not, uh, they're not trying to do these gestures on the very top, very bottom or very corners of the, of the phone, which can cause issues. Well, and that brings me another thing I just remember, which is, you know, with, I think iOS seven that got introduced. And it's heavily now on the eight because you have this, and you're gonna have to explain because this is totally like a guessing on my part. But I've noticed that a lot of screens now, it's kind of like the screen gets split. So if you activate something, it's sort of like the half bottom of the screen is really what's like where you really wanna be displaying things. Before it used to be sort of like your whole window. And um, so now you have to sort of like, if you touch the, the top part of that screen, then you don't get that window that you just activated to, to you know, to choose things or, or sometimes, um, you know, to dismiss things, you have to kind of like uh, tap in the on this area, right, in the kind of like in the corners of the screen, and I, you know, it took me a little while to figure out. I think you actually taught me that. And because I didn't know how to get out of certain screens and and I noticed that a lot of people I work with have trouble because they don't know how to how to, you know, send a, a screen away kind of because before we always had back or done. And then now some things you have to sort of like double tap in the edges so it goes away if you don't want to choose anything. So I think you're referring to like uh, if you open a folder uh, of on the on the home screen or if you're in the app store and you open an app it, it the visually the uh, a window appears on top so the background gets grayed out and then in this in the center is a um is a window almost correct kind of grays out the outside and there's two ways of dismissing one of those and one of them is to basically touch any of the area that's not the window now if you can't see where that window is uh, obviously it's going to be a little bit harder so you would basically just touch and drag in the corners of the screen and then in, you'd hear uh, if you've got voiceovers uh, hints turned on you'll hear the double tap to dismiss window so i could touch the corner of the screen uh, in in the case where I've got one of these big pop-ups and I don't have a back button, I touch one of the corners of the screen and I would double tap to dismiss it. Although I've been trying to teach a lot of people because you can do the two-finger scrub Correct. to do that same thing, which is you take two fingers, place them on the screen, drag them to the right and drag them to the left and then release. Oh, really? I do it up and down. <laughs> oh, you could do it up and down. It okay. doesn't matter. I didn't know that you could do side to side. But um, yes, and that's correct in all the Apple apps works beautifully but i've noticed that in some apps i just can't get out of it and, and i can't tell you which ones right now off of the top of my head but there are some apps that i just get stuck i think like one of the food ones that i use like always gets me stuck and the only way i can get out of there is like i actually get out and then i um 
you know, go to my app, um, you know, like when you double tap home, how do you call that? That all your open apps shows in the bottom. Oh, that'd be the, the app switcher. Okay. So I go to the app switcher. I turn that app completely off and then I reopen it. And that is, pain. but that's the only way sometimes I can get out of some of those screens. Well, that's an important point about voiceover in general is that uh, there's certain ways that you get used to interacting with the Apple apps because they are made in Xcode and they're usually typically designed with the oversight of their accessibility team. And so you have a very consistent uh, experience, not always, but they do their best. And uh, sometimes a developer will go in and they'll program something in a unique or a different way that that Xcode's built-in accessibility, the accessibility API doesn't know how to handle, and they haven't coded it to uh, back to the standard uh, expected interaction. And then you might end up with, uh, like you mentioned, a problem where you you end up with a window you can't close because uh, that that two-finger scrub gesture to close the window doesn't work, and the touch element on the sides to close it hasn't been implemented correctly, and uh, then you can get really stuck. It's bugs, and then I usually try to report. So I've noticed some apps actually go out of their way and fix it, but not all of them. And then I just stop using them because I go like, you know what? You don't care? I don't care. But it's a good idea to give the developers a chance, you know, email them uh, about an accessibility issue. Um, a lot of these apps are made by small groups. And the accessibility APIs that uh, Apple provides developers are not very complicated and uh, pretty easy for someone to pick up and there can be a lot of oversights in apps so you know do us all a favor do the whole community a favor when you run into an app that you love and it has accessibility issues email the developer so that they can make it better for everybody maybe we should start like a complaint database <laughs> all right so we've been talking here for a while now um I had another topic about Flash, but I think we might actually save that for our next episode. Um, what do you think, Rachel? I agree. So thanks for joining us today. If you have any feedback, ideas for other topics, uh, ideas, uh, thoughts about the things we talked about today, uh, I just want to reiterate, reiterate uh, send it to us at feedback at access.ninja. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the podcast, and uh, we'll be uh, recording a lot more regularly now with this new format. Woohoo! Yes, because I am, this is my kind of format. All right. Oh. <laughs> Have fun, everyone, and until next time.